Long Talk Radio. Delay there. Okay. <laughs> this is All About Wine, the talk show dedicated to the wine industry since 2009. Featuring winemaker, cellar master, vineyardist, and tasting expert, Ron. Basically, what we're trying to do on this program is just trying to educate people and trying to make wine less confusing and more friendly. From coast to coast. And around the world. You know, we really have had some, some neat people on the program. I, I just, I love that. Post your questions and comments during the live show on our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash allaboutwinebtr. Again, that's www.facebook.com forward slash allaboutwinebtr. And now, All About Wine is on. Here's Ron. Thank you, bus people. They survived the hurricane also. Yes, they did. You You know, they pronounce it uh, Ada. It could be pronounced, I'm sure, Eda or Ida. Uh, And the way these weather people go, I'm surprised they didn't pronounce it Ate. But uh, Ada, (laughs) (laughs) you know, uh, Hurricane Ate went through. You know, no, no, it's Eda. But uh, no damage here. We survived. What's that? Yeah, Theta's already out. There. Uh, they said Theta is already out in the Atlantic again. So they went from Eta to Theta with a TH, and it's out there. So uh, yeah. but it's, it's not, not going to hit us. But uh, there's there's another one. That one's out down in the Atlantic, the, I think. And then there's another one down in the Yucatan or something. And, and Yeah, it's, the, it's forming down there. They don't have a name, but that's going to be Iota, I think they said. Um, yeah, that's strange alphabet. But uh yeah, it's a Greek um, alphabet. Um, yeah, that's what we're past our normal oh, ones. We're going to the Greek. Yeah, we <laughs> ran out of names. Is what they did. Yeah. Yeah, we did. Yes, we did. Got it, Mike. Sent, I got to bring this up. Mike sent me a little thing that he received, and I I don't know why, but there's Pod Status does yep. tracking of podcasts around the world, I guess, and how things are going. And All About Wine, over the last 30 days, All About Wine was the number one downloaded category in food and drink in Nepal. Yes, yes. Nepal. Yeah. And that's not all. We were number six. Yeah, it's it's over (laughs) India, China. We were number six. Yeah, in category in food and wine in Magno uh, in Mongolia, number eleven in Kazakhstan, number eighteen in Estonia, and number twenty eight in food and drink in the Ukraine. So, oh my oh. gosh, yeah, I mean, wow, we need to strengthen our position in Ukraine. We're way down to twenty eight here. What's going on? Mm-hmm. So, um, I'm learning the old map now. <laughs> Yeah, I can pull out the map, find out where these are. Yeah, we're uh, these are uh, you know China and, and uh, Middle East and you know all over the place there. So hey, thanks Nepal and Mon- Mongolia, Kazakhstan, Estonia, and Ukraine for you know thinking about us and and listening to us and all that. We do appreciate that, but that's sort of cool that. Uh, you know, Nepal, number one downloaded category in food and drink the last 30 days. So, number, number uh, one in Nepal and 
number one in Nepal and number 65 in the U.S. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, and that's a that what? was peak uh, 60. <laughs> Probably, probably. I want to uh, someone waiting. Come on here, for, I think. Uh, yeah, somebody on uh, Yeah, we got. Oh, he he sat there. Yeah, that. Well, uh, oh. I hope that's Paul. Let's bring him in and see if it is our guest tonight. Hello, Paul. Yeah. Welcome to All About Wine. This is Paul from the Ukraine. There you go. Oh, Paul. Nice. And we're <laughs> from the Ukraine to Nepal. Yeah. We're downloading we're downloading frenzy up here. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, we just received that. That was just that was strange. Yeah. We did not expect to be a a, a hit in the Ukraine. And and jealous. Yeah. Kazakhstan I, and all those places, you know. That's in Nepal. Oh. <laughs> and it really surprises me. Good so, how's how's everything going? You're you're out in California somewhere, aren't you? We're in Southern California, right outside the the great Rose Bowl in Pasadena, and ah. uh, enjoying beautiful weather today. Actually, and it yeah. doesn't feel like earthquake weather, so that's a good thing. That's good. Yeah, we're well. We we just had uh, Hurricane Ada uh, pass through here oh, uh, no. yesterday, and this, but actually we survived. Quite well. It wasn't too bad. There's br- debris off the trees. Neighbor lost his fence. It blew down. But uh, overall, flooded. But uh, it's gone now. It's uh, outside of uh, the Carolinas already. It moved out fast. So, and one good thing about a hurricane going through is just always just gorgeous weather behind a hurricane. It's really, uh, uh, you know, the best thing about a hurricane is the gorgeous weather you get for three or four days afterwards. So. We're completely uh, oblivious to anything remotely suggesting a hurricane or a yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we 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 get those, but we, on the other hand, are completely oblivious to earthquakes. So yeah, that's our yeah, that's exactly life. right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. When that happened a few years ago, we did have oh, what was it like a three point two or three point yeah five, four right. point something off the off the in the Gulf Coast, I think. Yeah, and really. I'm at home. I'm at Place started shaking. Yeah, it was it was weird. It was like uh, it's scary. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's something I never never felt before. But it was it was. Yeah, I, I guess. I, 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 I know. I've been in California. I lived in California for a while. I was there, and I felt some earthquakes there. And it is weird. You just you know you're you're looking at people going, "What are you doing?" You know, thinking that you know. But uh, well, yesterday, yeah. uh, yesterday I did a podcast with um, uh, Piero Salvaggio, who is a 50-year veteran in the restaurant business in Los Angeles. He opened Valentino's in 1972, and he told me that in 1993, lost 27,000 bottles oh my of God. premium wines, including the Petruses of the world, oh. uh, in the 1993 earthquake. Can you imagine that mess? Oh my gosh! No, I can't. I, I just I think I would sit around and cry. Way too long. He did. <laughs> I think he did. Yeah. Oh, really? I mean, just it, it's just it's hard to imagine that. Hard, hard to imagine. It's just like we had the hurricane go through. What was this? Eight years ago, and uh, the winery. I was out the winery, and I went out there, and the yard was covered with branches. There is three trees fell over and branches and moss and everything all over the place. And I did the same thing. I just sat there and tears came to my eye because 
I knew I had to clean this up, but oh my gosh, what a task and brutal. Yeah, it is. I mean, you, you just, you know, once it was done, you go, yay, I did it. Thing with him. Once, once you cleaned it up, I still don't think I'd be happy though, because realizing what you just cleaned up had to be heartbreaking. Well, he was known. Uh, he was one. I think he was the first. If he wasn't the first, he was in the first ten, top ten wine list in America for when the Wine Spectator started doing that. Like oh, wow. I don't know, seventy-eight or seventy-nine or something or eighty-two. I can't remember exactly the first date. So yes. you know, twenty-seven thousand bottles of, of premium wines, I and mean, I can't imagine what the value was back then. But it's got to oh. be half a million dollars. Oh, it's not a lot more. Yeah, it's not a lot more. Yeah, that's that's just uh, it makes you sad just thinking about that. Let's change the subject. That is too sad to talk about. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, so Paul, uh, you and I are just sitting here talking like we're old friends. But let's tell the uh, listeners what you are, who you are, what you do, and all that stuff. So, so it's not like you know just some somebody that's calling from uh, well Nepal. So they got the wrong number, yeah. Yeah, uh, well, yeah. this uh, my name is Paul Calcare. I'm the owner and operator of the oldest wine uh, mail orders company in America. My dad invented the idea of wine in the mail in 1972 and have been doing it ever since. And what's unique about the company is my father didn't set out to try and sell more bottles like all the businesses that are on the Internet right now. He's, he's actually set out to help customers that walked into his wine shop to choose a wine that would uh, be economical but good value. And, of course, as you all know, the California wine scene had not really started yet, so it was the mainstays, Sebastiani, Mondavi, and those types of wines. But customers would walk in and say, the boss is coming for dinner. We're in Palos Verdes Estates, which is an affluent beach town, lots of engineers from the aerospace uh, world in, in, in El Segundo. So uh, he just decided he would choose wines at the beginning of the month, put them on display, and that was my job, set the display up each month and, and do the tastings on Tuesdays. And people would come in and buy the wines. And then when they left town, they would say, you know, Paul, I really liked your selections. I thought the values were great. Why don't you just ship them to me? And then entered this little cottage industry that his little wine shop started, which was shipping wine across the country. Of course, totally different than it is today as far as you know, the rules are concerned. But <laughs> and that's how we started. So no. currently, uh, we're, we're in Monrovia. We're shipping. We sh- it's a totally different model. Uh, you know, obviously, media podcasting is an important part of what we do. I have a podcast called Wine Talks with Paul K. It's number two in Nepal right now. Is it so, yeah, uh, behind us? <laughs> <laughs> but that's what we do. <laughs> uh, how so long have you been doing your podcast? The podcast is about. A year and a half old. Oh, it's rather uh, young then. Oh, okay. It is, and it's kind of interesting because um, we're, you know, we're in Southern California, which is the hotbed of everything, right? I mean, I wasn't even looking for guests; they would just show up. And we've interviewed first growth Bordeaux makers, uh, all the greats from Stephen Spurrier and and the Barrett family and Violet Gergich. I mean, it's just an amazing opportunity. I think, as you see, as you see what you're doing, it's uh, it's time to educate a little bit. I think we have to get back teaching people what it's about and what the value of a good glass of wine is and get off these Groupon, you know, 15 wines for $45 type things Yeah, yeah. And, and educate a little bit. So it's a great thing that you're doing. Oh, thank you. 
It's just, you know, the, I tell people, you know, get away from your default wines. Try something new. And yes. it's, it's just so, so many people, and I call it default wine because that's what it is. You walk into the store, you grab the bottle that you had last night, last week, last month, last year, and you don't give it a chance to expand your taste. And there's so many great wines out there that it's – it's a shame that people don't try more. So, and I'm sure you run across that too over the years. Well, it's important. It's a very important point you're making and it's hard to break those habits. And I suppose, and this is kind of made it somebody, one of my podcast guests made this clear to me. And like, yes, the person that's buying the Magnum of Sutter home Sauvignon Blanc every Friday night, you know, that's going to be a tough one to break the mold on. Yeah. But one day they'll say, Hmm, I wonder what Chardonnay tastes like. And they'll open their eyes and they'll have that aha moment. And it happens at all levels. This is the beauty of wine. And it can happen at that 449 Magnum level, but it can also happen at the $100 Cabernet Napa level when somebody opens uh, you know, a fine French Burgundy and says, I never knew these flavors existed. <laughs> and yeah. it happens quite, quite frequently. And I think that's part of our job is to teach people, like, give it a whirl. But the problem is, what happens if you go to the store and you ask the guy for, oh, I want to try Riesling, and the guy gives you a Riesling because he wants to sell it because he's got to move it off the shelf, and it's not a very good one. And then all of a sudden now, I don't like Riesling. Right. And it's like, oh, but you don't you don't like Riesling or you don't like bad Rieslings? You know, which, which one? Is yes. That's, well, that's – and along that same line, though, I try to emphasize to people, find yourself a local wine shop. A, a little small one is best. Don't go to the chains. Walk in there and become familiar with the people. Let them know who you are, what you're looking for, what you're shopping for, what you're taking. And before long, if you continue to go in there, you'll walk in and they say, I've got a new wine you have to try because I know you're going to enjoy it. And they become familiar with you and you familiar with them. And it gives you an opportunity to work with each other, basically. And I emphasize that as much as I can. Find yourself a local wine shop that becomes your place, and then you that's do exactly find those, right. you know, those that, those deals. That's exactly those, right. Yeah. So, how, I mean, how do you feel, for instance, about a website that you ask them? They, you get asked five questions. Do you drink black coffee? Do you salt your food? Do you like mushrooms? <laughs> and then it's supposed to build a you know a profile around that a profile it's of your taste, right? Where you want. <laughs> yeah, you and I know this is absurd. It is. I had it a, really is. I had a wine buyer in a store years ago. He was fabulous at at that exact thing you just mentioned. Uh-huh. When he got to know your palate, he was so good at at pairing. And I think that's one of the things that people don't understand about a psalm's job, because there are good psalms and bad psalms, and just like there are good business people and bad ones, yeah. are good chefs and bad chefs. But a good psalm should be able to come to the table and say, what do you feel like? What's your favorite wine? Uh, what are you eating for dinner? And and that's hard. That's really hard to do. And then go to their cellar and find something in their price range that you're going to like. That's a hard job. That is. I mean, you, it, it really is. Yeah. And once you get to the point where you do have that psalm, a, uh, a cert- certification, it's still hard. Because you're trying to match up people with something that they may not be familiar with at all, and it's like, ooh, I don't like this. I I had, and it reminds me of a, mm-hmm. this girl that came into the the winery one day, and uh, 
I was doing a tasting with her and I gave her a, a, a taste of, well, we started out with the, the white wine. I gave her a taste of the white wine and she goes, oh, oh, that's bitter. That's bitter. And she set it down and she did this with every wine. I go, wait a minute. I said, describe to me what you're saying is bitter. And she described acid is basically mm-hmm. all she described. And I there said, no, go. I said, Let's let's clarify. I said you're tasting the acid in the wine. The wine has to have the acid, or else it's going to be flat, like a soda left open all night. I said, think of it as adding depth to what you're tasting, not just that it's bitter. And after a few minutes, she started to look beyond that. Ooh, it's bitter, and, and started enjoying. It. And this is something that people, sommeliers and, and wine shops, will do. They'll get past that mindset that people have on that stuff so i think that's a great analogy i'm gonna if you don't mind i'm gonna steal it from you the it's like a soda that that that's been been open all night night because that's exactly right that's you know uh the co2 acts like what would be acid in wine right it makes it feel that way now that's really interesting well yeah it's important um to to expand your palate, to try different things, but you got to, and I think your analogy is right on it. If the wine shop owner, and that's the beauty of a wine shop owner versus the guy that stocks the shelf at their local market, they've tasted everything in that store already. Right. They bought it and they bought it for a reason. And you, you can rely on that, on that experience to guide you into the proper place. So that's a good thought. And- they're not there just to sell you wine either. I mean, you know, they, it, it, they're they not there to push a $60 bottle of wine. Here, you're going to like this. They're there to match your taste. And instead of the $60 bottle, they're just as happy to sell you a $20 that they know you're going to like. And, you know, so I just, I'm, I'm a big fan of local wine sh- stores, local wine shops. Mm-hmm. It's, it really is uh, the, the backbone, I think, of, promoting wine and selling wine and um, more people should really it it should go back to that or at least you know it's very hard to get that experience online uh oh yeah you know but but, you know i can tell you with covid you know we've experienced a big sales spike and people are getting used to that but Mm. i'm looking i'm noticing on my sales because uh I, I had we were not we weren't big on the brands we weren't big on the Camuses and the Silver Oaks and the Austin Holtz we don't typically stock those or or have them because uh, my job is to find other things but mm-hmm. during COVID those brands were selling well and so wow. we now have them and people know that you know so they already know this right they already can trust Camus they can trust Austin Hope they can trust Silver Oak even though they're expensive but they can trust yeah. that it's going to be something. And the fact that we care them, but then also because my membership, you know, they've already tasted the wines I've sent them. We were selling a lot of bottles uh, that we not that we haven't sold before, but the the percentage of bottle sales went up because they they just didn't want to go to the store, and they mm-hmm. just get on their phone and again they're portable and and they're able to do it. So uh, it still came from a sense of knowledge. They already knew what it tasted like. They already knew what it was going to be they already know what austin hope feels like they already know what camus feels like and so they're prepared to to do it and what i'm fighting against and you probably have seen it are these uh and i have two thoughts on this may i get you, I'll get you are these wines that are on groupon and if, if you see a groupon thing that's you know like i said 15 wines for 45 dollars you're getting three dollars worth of wine 
Okay, and <laughs> that's what you're getting. You're not getting. Yeah. You're I not know. getting Camus overstock, right? You're getting. <laughs> yeah. You're getting the cheapest they can find to get it out to you. Yeah, I mean, they probably spend more on the bottle than they do on the contents. So. Well, I can tell you because uh, of the way we buy wines. The, I, a friend of mine who brings in containers of that stuff lost a contract to one of the Groupon vendors. And I don't name names because that's not fair, but <laughs> because he was charging them. Two euros a liter, which is like what a buck a bottle for his yeah, juice, yeah. <laughs> and he lost it to a guy that was selling them juice for a dollar a liter, which is like eighty five oh, cents. Yeah. <laughs> oh no! Oh. So it's really that's, and I want just the consumers to know that. And then here's the other thought: you tell me what you think. I bring that up quite a bit, podcast with with vendors and, and winemakers, and one of them said something the other day I thought was really interesting. He said, "Yes, but." Those people may not be drinking wine prior, and so they, at least they bought something, and they may yeah. or may not like it, and they may not know the difference, but it may bring a buyer to the table because it's a riskless price, and then they learn to like it, like White Zinfandel did in 1974. Right, exactly. You think that's valid? Exactly. I think that's valid. It is a good valid point. I mean, it just it opens up the world to the non-wine drinkers. You know, Well, here, I can get uh, 12 bottles for $45. I don't have to worry about shipping. And I do this little questionnaire here, and they're going to match up my taste, so it's going to be perfect for me. And they come in, and they start drinking, and they go, well, this isn't too bad. And this has got just a little bit of sweetness, and I like that and all. And I, I think it opens up the world. That's an excellent point. I mean, it opens up the world of wine to people who normally would not do that. That's right. And I think that was accurate. Yeah, and that's so I stopped complaining about it. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we uh, we can still complain about it. <laughs> Do it once, get interested in wine, and then you know, yeah. find your local right. wine shop. That's that's really what they need to do. <laughs> you know, I had a I had a uh, um, a journalist in a wine journalist. Her name was she? Uh, I can't remember, but she worked for PunchDrink.com, which is a oh, pretty yeah. famous beverage beverage site. And she sat with me for four hours and watched me taste through my Tuesday tasting. I started at nine thirty, I finished at two thirty, and I don't stop, uh, <laughs> you know, except for lunch. So she was watching me taste, and she saw really fine Bordeaux come through, and then get followed up by the stuff I was just telling you about. And in between one tasting, I said, "Let's taste these." And somebody sent me a case of wine, a bunch of samples, and they were from a competitor, which is hard to understand, but they were. And I opened a bottle of Beaujolais, real French Beaujolais, 2016 at the time. And she goes, this is really bad. I said, yeah, it is. I said, and let's look online. And we looked it up. And while I looked it up, I realized the wine was Saturday Night Live, the TV show, Beaujolais. <laughs> and it was like, can you imagine that? It was like, and it was like 17 or $18. So I, I looked at it. I said, you know, some poor soul who loves Saturday Night Live saw an ad or wherever they became acquainted with the bottle and thought, how fun. I'll get a bottle of the Saturday Night Live Beaujolais and I'll drink it while I'm watching the show. And I'm telling you, there's no way they sat and go, hey, this is pretty good. This is impossible. <laughs> it's just undrinkable, right? And, and that's the kind of experience they're trying to, trying to help people avoid. You know, not, they don't do it knowingly, right? But we're trying to keep them from making that mistake. And uh, guide them, you know, in a way where they can find some good things. I mean, you and I know you can actually find some pretty good wines that are ten bucks. You just right. take a look, yeah. right, and know what you're yeah. looking for. 
But so that's what that's that's what we've been trying to do. It's so easy though for for people to get get caught up in a, a type of wine that they well again I, I refer back to the default wine, but they they want to try a wine that they've liked before, and so they stay with that style. And a Riesling is a good example. You brought up Riesling. And people have came in and they said, do you have a Riesling? And I go, why do you want a Riesling? And they said, well, because it's sweet. And I said, well, no. Rieslings mm. don't have to be sweet. They, mm-hmm. they can be some very dry, very beautiful dry white wines. And they go, no, no, Rieslings are sweet. And they don't look at other wines. They They get caught up in you know, it's a Beaujolais, it must be good, and things like this, right, and right. Not, not realizing that the the variety is just uh, overwhelming sometimes, and so... And I'm having and a that, blast with those. Yeah. You, know, you yeah. said Riesling's are back. You know, it's kind of interesting, the ebbs and flows, right? We see them a lot, that we don't see them, mm-hmm. and then we see them a lot. Same with Australian wines. We see a whole bunch of them, and then oh, I don't know yeah. what happens to the Australian dollar, but we get screwed, and then they go away and then they come back, you know, uh, it's cyclical. And what's fascinating for me, I'm sure for you is as, as met, as a uh, different regions of the world become more automated, not automated, but technically advanced in winemaking. For instance, the Caucasus, the Slovenias, the Armenians, mm. the Turkish, the, those areas uh, now have technology producing some pretty interesting wines and it expands you know, the base of things we have to, you and I have to learn about, but yeah. it also expands the flavor profile of things people can try uh, as long as they have an open mind and somebody tells them this is a really good example of what it is, right? Right. Because there are a lot of really bad examples of those things too. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> and a lot of times more than than what you were scared to think about. You, yeah, you mentioned well, a good point though. You don't have to spend a lot of money to get a good wine though. No, you do not. And you I'm, mentioned I'm that. I take my it, reputation on it. Oh, without doubt. There's some great wines out there at a very good price. And People think that you have to spend a whole lot of money. I, I always tell people, and if I may, you know, the quick story, I tell people, most wines that people buy cost between 7 and $15. That is the purchase area for most That's people. Sweet spot. Yeah. yeah. I've had wines that, you know, cost, you know, six, seven hundred dollars and I've had wines that cost three hundred dollars. Now you can tell the difference between the three hundred and the, the seven hundred. There there is a difference. Most people, unless they taste and they know what they're doing, you know, can't see the subtle differences. But you can. They're there. They're the subtle differences. Sure. I tell people, get away from the seven to fifteen dollar and go fifteen to thirty. That little jump there is probably the biggest jump in quality you're going to find for the price in anything, more so than the 300 to 700, because that's you're going to start seeing the quality there, and you're going to taste the quality difference. And so, you're right. Stay away from the getting yourself the next 10 bottles of wine. Get two or three of them in the 15 to 30 dollar range. You can get the other six or seven of them in the your your comfort seven of the, you know your sweet spot like you say, but get three or four of them in the fifteen to twenty or fifteen to thirty dollar range, and 
you will be amazed at the difference that it's going to show you in these wines. It, the, you're used to drinking a Cabernet and you get one that's instead of $12, you get one that's $25. And it's, it's going to be, well, one of those epiphanies, one of those wow moments for you that you didn't realize. And I think more people need to do that. And if they do that, then it's going to open up a whole new world for them in wines. You, you're, you're right on those, the, the, those band, that price band. It, when you jump to the next band, it starts to change the type of manufacturing techniques they can use to create the wine. So let's just say from the 7 to 15 range, instead of buying a $1,000 French oak barrel to get the wood character and to soften it and to get the tannins they want, they have to use oak chips. Mm -hmm. Chips yeah. uh, typically you know, lend more of a flavor to a wine than they do you know, structure. But all of a sudden, but you can't afford to buy a thousand dollar barrel that only holds, you know, twenty five cases worth of wine, and right. age it for two years, and then sell it for seven to ten dollars. It just doesn't happen. Do yeah. But somebody that's got a big winery that's making wine, a lot of wine, can do that. Take a second year barrel or a third year barrel, and put some Cabernet in it, and for fourteen months, and sell it for twenty dollars, and mm -hmm. you're getting real, you know, manufactured wine that. That they're not making a ton, but uh, the manufacturing processes have, have dictated just a better quality. That's just going to happen. It doesn't always work that way. Sometimes it's really crappy $20 wines, too. But Correct. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> really crappy $50 wines. I mean, you know. but, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> but, yeah, that, and that's exactly the point. You, you can't get a great wine. If you mass produce it and sell it, you know, on seven eight dollars a bottle. I mean, there's two buck chuck. People say, oh, and now it's three buck, but uh, that two forty nine. Yeah, yeah uh, it's everybody says, oh, is this a great wine? No, it's not. No, it's not. No. It's a wine, and that's about all you can say for it. But it gets people to drinking the wine, and then that's hopefully right. they move up. I mean, it's a it's a a gateway wine. Is you know. Like marijuana is a gateway for drugs, then you that's know, the a good term. Two two buck well, chuck you know, is a gateway. Two buck chuck was, as you probably know, in the beginning, uh, in two thousand and four, whenever the glut was, there was mm. so much juice. I mean, there there were wineries that, all out in California that weren't even picking. I mean, they, they didn't have yeah. a contract oh, yeah. to sell the grapes; they weren't picking. So Joe Franzia had, you know, run of the mill. He could buy whatever he wanted. It was nothing. But if you if you work two buck chuck backwards from the bottle cost, the the label, the 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 uh, uh, case, the profit for Trader Joe's, trucking the wine, you know, you end up thinking, everything. gee, there's not a whole lot of money <laughs> in the gym. yeah, and it and so that means you either buy inferior grapes or you go to a district where grapes are cheap anyway because they're just not known well known for making good wine. So that right. by default, it's and then you say, okay, well, let's make it a little oaky, and you throw in some oak flavoring, or you throw in some oak chips, or whatever. And now you're starting to doctor things up, and mm -hmm. you know, it's probably like a Big Mac, you know, where they're making a nickel a bottle if they make that much. 
Right. But if you sell, you know, a million bottles, then you've got yourself, you know, enough money right. to make another one. Yeah. <laughs> and that's just it, you know. You, you mentioned something there in passing, and I've mentioned this to the listeners before, but it's been a while. There is liquid oak out there. You can add oak mm-hmm. to wine. It's a liquid oak and, you know, so much, uh, so many grams for, um, uh so yeah, much liquid oak per liter and stuff like this, you add to it, and it gives you an oak profile. Uh, and they've got liquid oak that comes, you know, it's French oak. It's got uh, uh, French oak with a lot of toast. And, I mean, everything you can get in wood chips, only it's all just liquid. Uh, and uh, most people won't be able to tell the difference. I mean, it's no, just... It's just it's to the point where it's just pretty good, really. I mean, it's for what they're trying to do for most people. Here's what happens. They put in a little bit of that. They go, oh, crap, we put in too much. So let's put in a little more acid. Oh, shoot, that's, now I've got a little more sugar. To, and all of a sudden, exactly. you know, you've got you change, a little you mega red in there. So much, you know. Yeah, well, I, there was a, I've always – go redhead. Yeah, there was a guy in, in SoCal, a very famous place. You know, I don't know if your listeners know – but the wine trade in California started in Rancho Cucamonga in the late 1700s and made its way to Napa in the mid-1800s. But it's really started here. So around the Ontario airport, if you're familiar with California, there's a ton of vines. And those were the original California winemaking vines. Mm-hmm. And I went to visit the winery there. He doesn't, he doesn't need to worry. He's got 200 acres of vines in prime real estate. So I, I don't think he cares much about what he makes. But he has, <laughs> And he still has... These beautiful 1,500-gallon redwood tanks, which are very hard to find now, but that's what mm-hmm. you did back then. And he had just made a, a Zinfandel, and it was from that local appellation. You know, I think it was you know Ontario, and it was really good. I mean, he he barrel really? thieved it for me. I go, this is really nice wine, except it was orange. You know, <laughs> just from the nature of the neighborhood and prematurely turning color, but it was the wine was really good. So I'm like, well. I could, I like this wine. I would buy it, but I, I don't think I could listen to my customers complaining about, you know, orange wine. He goes, "Oh, we can fix that." So we went into his lab, <laughs> and he, he got a bottle of Mega Red or whatever they call it stuff, and yeah. and Purple, all of a sudden he drops it in my glass. Yeah, and it turned into this beautiful garnet, you know, <laughs> wine. That's, that's and it's perfectly legal. You know, there's 79 yeah. substances you can put in a wine, so you know. <laughs> But I, yeah. I think you're right. Most people aren't going to tell the difference, and they're just going to enjoy a glass of wine. Now, you you mentioned orange. Uh, we had a guest on, I guess, what was it, a month ago there, Mike? I, I'm not sure when the date, but uh, I think it was beginning of uh, October, uh, right before Orange National Orange Week, Orange Wine Week. She uh, started Orange Wine Day a few years ago, and now she's expanding wow. it to Orange Wine Week. And they had seminars and uh, uh, all virtual. She gave me a pass to go to and I listened to some of the seminars and they had talks about orange wine and it's it's a big deal. It's a, a yearly thing. Orange Orange Wine Week. She'll, she's going to be yeah, a guest next year. Unfortunately, this this orange wine <laughs> was supposed to be Yeah, red. this wasn't the, <laughs> this wasn't the orange wine we're speaking of here. Yeah, <laughs> you're talking about the orange wine, you know, extended uh, skin contact, you know, that kind right, of thing, which, right. is, which is yeah. a big trend. You know, it's a big trend. It is. It's it's very popular now. Yeah, but uh, uh, even the biodynamic, you know, organic movement is alive and well, and there's some interesting things oh. happening there. I, I I had a woman on the other day. She makes wine in Vancouver, 
the Vancouver <laughs> Island, actually. Figure that one out. Oh. And she makes sparkling wine. So, and I suppose because it's cooler up there, you know, the cool weather grapes. But she doesn't disgorge it. What does that mean to the listeners? That means that when they make the when the wine ferments in the bottle and all the yeast cells are accumulated at the barrel at the cork, um, typically you freeze it, right? And then you take the cork out and you take out the little little plug of frozen yeast cells and you backfill it with some cognac and sugar, and then put it back. And now you have your champagne or your sparkling wine. But she doesn't do that. She oh. just leaves that stuff floating around in there. Oh, and this is then they call it raw wine, which is now a new segment of the biodynamic organic. Yeah, wine. yeah. Have you seen I just, these things? I, I, why? Yeah, no, I, I haven't. I've only seen tasted it. one. Okay, just so I haven't all tasted all the wines I taste. I, I've. What was it, Mike? We were talking about that. I, I think we mentioned raw wine. Somebody brought it up and. Oh, for the life of me, I can't remember. But yes, it's becoming a thing now. Raw wine, yep. uh, not not nothing. What was it? just recently? We we were saying something about the raw wine, and uh, I've only had one. <sighs> now I average seventy-five wines every Tuesday, and I've been doing it for thirty years. So I, and I only know of one brand that's come through here with the idea that it's called raw, and. What does that mean? I mean, they do nothing. They don't even yeah. till the soil because the oxygen will kill the anaerobic part of the, uh, uh, the <laughs> really? organism. I, yeah, I that, that's detrimental. And so, and let me ask you this question: When you drink a glass of wine, don't you want to feel good? Don't you, I mean, forget, besides the alcohol, right? Besides the yeah. alcohol content, don't you just want to feel something like a, a memory or a conversation yeah. or oh, something? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, some of these raw wines don't do that. All they make you say is, "Oh my God, I can't drink this." <laughs> <laughs> it's not all of them. I shouldn't say that. But, uh, yeah, you know. but yeah, but you've had more experience with them than I. You had one. I haven't had any. Uh, yeah, right. Double. Yeah, double the. Yeah. But raw wine. I, it's it's becoming a thing now, though. This raw wine. I just, it's a big why, thing. Yeah. Yeah, I just I just mentioned. It, uh, but uh, we talked about biodynamic. We talked about uh, the, um, well, obviously the organic, but biodynamic. I've had a couple of guests on that were uh, winery, biodynamic wineries and mm-hmm. stuff like this. And I, you know, and I, I want to know your opinion on this. I've always said that you take three vineyards. One of them, you spray when the bugs come on it, and you do what you do now and you, so you can get your grapes. The other one, you do uh, biodynamic all the way. And the other one, you do organic all the way. And you have the winemaker, the same winemaker, make three different wines, one from each vineyard. Will you be able to tell the difference in taste, yes. Yeah, all other things being equal, yes. Uh, the, a great difference. Not, you, you definitely there's a structural difference. How okay. it feels in your mouth, how heavy. We it could is. tell the difference, but yeah, most people could a no? consumer. Yeah, uh, you know, between the organic and the biodynamic would be tough. Conventional and the other two, maybe a little easier. Yeah, uh, it's funny you ask that question. I have the same question I ask winemakers about or chefs about organic foods versus uh, conventional foods. I go to Ralph's 
and he goes to the organic section, and I go to the conventional section. We make the same food, the same temperatures, the same servings, serving portions, and everything's the same. And you know which one tastes better? And I get a fifty-fifty split. Huh? And I think and I think that uh, and I think it's logical that you know you can have bad organic food just to go to Whole Foods and buy a carrot that you know like your like your client said is bitter. Yeah. You get a really high sugar content carrot from that same market the next week. So it's, a lot has to do with the quality of, of the farming. But uh, I think all things being equal, you would be able to tell which one was organic biodynamic you know, those, mm. those two, and which one was conventional for sure. Um, the, I the just, I've always wondered, uh, I, I've had biodynamic wine and I've had organic wine and the biodynamic is good, but I've had some conventional that's good too. And I've always wondered, of course, side by side, all things being equal, if there would be a difference that could be detected. Let me let me alert your listeners to one thing that that we don't that isn't talked about, and that is when you look at the organic section. Uh, there are a couple things about organic that are very important, I think. But one of them is you may buy a wine that says made from organic grapes. Mm-hmm. So that's telling you that it's not organic in its entirety, meaning they grew the grapes organically, but when it got to the winery, they didn't process the wine organically. So that's those are two different things. Uh, biodynamic takes everything to the next level, so all the way through the process, it has to be organic, biodynamic. So you, you you have to you know worry about the gravitational pull of the moon and what you put in the vineyard. Right. All that stuff has to be certified. But one thing I get a lot from particularly European winemakers, and I was just talking to this restaurateur yesterday about a gentleman named Valentino Valentini. Uh, you'd think he's an actor, right? You know, like in the 40s. <laughs> that would be a good name, yes. <laughs> but he was actually the mayor of Montefalco, which is just south of Tuscany, in, in, uh, in uh, and they grow Sagrantino, okay, which is a uh. really abusive red grape that takes a long time to come around, but great wines. But Valentino tells me, he's the first one to tell me, this is years ago, he says, you know, my kids crawl around in that vineyard. So we are uh-huh. organic. I don't want them coming into the house and licking their fingers when they got pesticides and things all over their hands. He goes, so we, we don't. This the certification for organic wines is, you know, interesting and sort of government controlled. But he goes, I don't want those things in my vineyard. And so a lot of the wines that your your listeners are drinking could be organic already uh, by the nature of the winemaker and the farmer. And mm. they don't advertise it. One, it costs you know it costs money to be certified. It takes a few years to get certified, and for what? I'm already doing it, right? I'm already making mm-hmm. it that way. <laughs> People yeah, already like it. Yeah, They're already that's... buying it. Why would I go through that headache? You know. And the certification but, is is tough getting certified for organic. I mean, it's, it's it is. It's it's a long process, five years, and all that other stuff you got to do. I mean, it's tough and. Uh, you know. The reporting of it, you, every year yeah. you got a report, the inspector comes, and so yeah. I get a lot of organic wines that are not. Now, here, here's a consumer thing. A woman called here. She says, you sent me in your organic club, you sent me wines that aren't organic. I said, no, ma'am, it is. She goes, no, they're not. It doesn't have this, the thing on the back label. Yeah. She said, well, a lot of wineries don't even, even if they are certified, they don't put it on there. And I said, but this one is. And she goes, no, it's not. <laughs> I said, okay. <laughs> like, okay, it isn't. I'll send you something else. I'll send you another one, so, yeah. 
they're always right, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you, you know, I, we've we've talked to different people about the, the the different types of certifications that you can get. In fact, just uh, a couple of weeks ago, I had a guest on. Uh, Nathan was his name, and he's from a winery called Center of winery and this is the name I asked him I said where'd you get a name like that and he said that they're sailors and if you're if you're a sailor you understand the center of efforts when the boat is turned the flags are the uh, sails are just right and it picks up the wind just right and that gives you the the center of effort so it's hmm. you know and I thought that was an interesting thing except that 99% of the people aren't sailors and it just seems like a weird name for a winery but he just got his SIP certification, uh, SIP, SIP certification. And he was on telling me, tell me about the SIP certification and what he has to go through for that. And it was, you know, it's quite involved. He's one of the first ones in the country to get a SIP certificate. They're located in San Luis Obispo. And, um, uh, it, it's something else. I mean, you know, we're talking about about dynamic. We're talking about uh, organic. Now we've got SIP certification, and, and uh, you know, it's just. I, I it think is, it, uh, SIP is I, um, it's more complicated because it includes wages and water recycling and trash disposal. Oh and yeah, yeah. How Everything. you cool your winery and. And purchasing and recycling and marketing materials even included in that. And, you know, I mean, it just, uh, <laughs> is that going to affect my glass of wine? And I have to think, no, that's a tougher one. Yeah. Yeah. So sustainable, usually if you're sustainable, you're using organic uh, methods of farming, but I don't know if that's a requirement. I have to, I'd like to look that up. But uh, the fact that you pay a fair, sorry, pay a fair wage, or the fact that you recycle your water, or you know, I don't know, it'd be hard to say. Yeah, yeah. Winemaking is kind of like cooking, you know. If it takes a lot of passion uh, to make sure what comes out of that bottle when you're done is is what you want it to be, and it's your little creation. Uh, yeah, you know, it's like it, cooking. Well, yeah, exactly. It, it's here. I just I found that uh, the email that we originally sent back and forth, Nathan uh, from uh, from Center of Effort Winery, it says here the uh, includes a rigorous evaluation of a variety of items included, but not limited to facility establishment and management, energy uses, water efficiency, purchasing, recycling, and waste reduction, marketing materials, event needs, and landscape decisions. Uh, these are all. Yes part yep. of the SIP certification. And, okay, this is wonderful, but you're recycling, but that's not going to affect the taste of my wine. And so it seems like a lot of effort, and a lot of energy to go into to get a certification that, you know, okay, good for you, and this is great, but I don't know. Yeah, but I, I just, think that's sort of, it's, sort of, it's almost more political. Uh, the, the sustainable thing is more political than it is sort of practical. Yeah, I mean, yeah. certainly we all want to have a you know attempt to have a zero carbon footprint. That's what kind of what that sustainable is supposed to be doing. I mean, there are wineries uh -huh. in, in Italy. I haven't seen it in California, but there are wineries throughout the world where they grow grass, literally cover the roof with dirt, 
and grow grass because it's cool. <laughs> it's a cooler environment inside the building for natural cooling. I mean, I don't know. Does it, how does that yeah. change the quality of the wine? It doesn't, right? It's just it doesn't. It doesn't. But it's just yeah, changing and, and your political position. Yeah, and I think this is what the SIP certification is more than anything. I mean, we have a SIP certification, and good for you. And you know, as long as and their wines are reasonably priced, and so therefore, yeah. I mean, if I had a choice between choosing this wine or your wine on the shelf, I would probably pick yours because of what you do yeah. and how you operate. You know, and so I think yeah. maybe that might be it more than anything. Not so much the fact that the wines going to be different or better or anything. It's just that you're making a major effort for everything, the environment and everything else. And so uh, I think of a place like whole foods, you know, that no. kind of decision is probably made all the time. Very good. Yeah. Very true. Very true. Right. People are looking for that. So, the other day I was in the Vons, uh, the local market out here and right at my eye level was Snoop Dogg's red. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, what? <laughs> so I took my phone out and I did a quick little, little video blog. And I'm like, there's something wrong with this because Snoop Dogg is in the wine business. And so my whole, my point of the conversation on the camera was it's becoming like toothpaste and salad dressing where the corporate America guys are buying these positions on the shelf. So when you're walking down and you turn your head to the right or left and the, the wines that they want you to see and they pay for you to see them there are there because right. clearly Snoop Dogg's wine could not have vaulted itself into the premier position in the <laughs> <Yeah>. wine shelf <laughs> on Second its own. Shelf right? down, front center. There it is. That's there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah. Oh, it, it, we, we were going to do a, a show a while back and Mike sent me a list of celebrities that are in the wine business. And it's like, Oh my gosh, you know, I guess if you make lots of money, it, it just, uh, something to do with your money uh, you get into the wine business but you know, people buy it because it's you know, Snoop, it's Snoop really, Dogg that's yeah. a really good point and I, had, I have this conversation all the time when I was a few years ago um, I was talking to Fred Couples agent mm -hmm. Fred Couples had a Sangiovese that was $60 retail and they had a, cat, a Chardonnay I thought it was like 40 bucks. And they were very disappointed in the distributor. And so I set out to figure that out. Well, I found 16 wines by golfers at that time, probably about 10 years ago, maybe 15 years ago. <laughs> yeah. and, and I was invited to um, uh, the North Carolina, to Pinehurst, as part of their big wine weekend and give a, a little seminar on golfers' wines. Okay. <laughs> There's like two left. Greg really? Norman which is like real wine because he owns the yeah. winery. And I think Nick Faldo in South Africa, maybe there's a couple others still, but they're all gone because of, first of all, the celebrity thing uh, doesn't really work typically. <laughs> and, and second, you know, you're, if I'm going to pay $60, I already know I can buy at that time, probably Duckhorn Merlot, or I can buy Chateau Montalena Cabernet, or I can buy a Bordeaux at $60, 10, 15 years ago, you probably get pretty good Bordeaux. Oh, why yeah. would I buy Sangiovese from Fred Couples? I mean, I don't, exactly. Right? The wine guy's not going to do that. And how many Fred Couples fans are there to actually buy the stuff? Okay. Mm -hmm. And then, and then if they do buy it, it's a one-time purchase because 
well, Fred's wine was actually really good, but it was expensive. Snoop Dogg's wine, I mean, I don't know. I haven't tasted it, but I can taste it in my mouth now what it's going to be. <laughs> right? I mean, it's just pretty obvious. It's going to be sweet yeah. and red wine. What, but, what price point was it, if if you remember? Oh, it was like 15 or $18 or something. Oh, okay. This, it was part of that. It was part of that 19 criminals group. Oh, okay. Okay. You know, where you got that label, and it's a virtual yeah. uh, augmented reality label. Uh, so I see that all the time, and I've, over the years, you know, there was Big Ange, uh, you know, the girl that was on the Housewives of Atlanta, and she right. she had this colored colored Moscato was horrible, and the only other one I think that's been semi successful is Angie Jolie's Mirabelle Rosé. Yeah, you know, that's, that's still hanging around. Well. Yeah. That's done pretty well, but you know, for the most part, you're paying a premium for that. That endorsement, well, for celebrity name, you know, it, it, yeah. back to your your Saturday Night Live Birdo. I mean, it just it's you, you've got a name on it, and they're trying to cash in on the name, right? And it, it, it a lot of people don't understand the quality. Oh, look, I'm drinking a Snoop Dogg Cabernet here, and it, was it any good? But it's Snoop Dogg, you know. I mean, yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know. That's not an experience. You know, that's not the wine experience you and I want them to have. That's right. Yeah, that's just it. Uh, we we don't have to have go, a name. Oh, this is really exactly. good. You know? yeah, exactly. You know, it's funny. Uh, we were in Napa a few weeks ago, and we went to the French Laundry, you know, dropping names, but we've never been, and it was very expensive. But um, And I was two couples, or very closest friends, and big Napa cab people. Big. I mean, mm. their whole cellar is full of Napa cabs, and they they seek Napa cab, and it's not because <laughs> they necessarily like Napa cab, because they, they do, but it's it's because they don't know anything else, right? right so right. here we are, this French restaurant, and the the wine list is extraordinary, and the prices are high, but uh, I asked the Somme, as we talked about this earlier, I said, you know, here's my budget, and I want something from the north of Burgundy in a Cote de area, and and which your listeners know would know it's Pinot Noir, and in this price range. So he comes back and this, and he chose an incredible bottle of wine and my friends freaked out over it because (laughs) they had never tasted this before. And now they're asking me for, you know, well, it's not quite that expensive. Of course, (laughs) three to $500 a bottle, but there's lots of great Pinots that are much less than that, but it, it opened their eyes to, you know, the flavor profiles that are out there for people to try. And, and, mm-hmm. and, and like we said earlier, it's recommended by somebody that knew, you know, what it was supposed to taste like. And it, it, it expi- expanded their palate. And I'm seeing them tonight. They're probably going to ask me for a, 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 bur- a burgundy. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and that's, that's the point, too. I mean, even people who drink a lot of wine and, and spend money on wine get themselves into a rut like that. I, it's, mm-hmm. I, I, I see it a lot. Or, well, what do you drink? Cabernet Sauvignon. Okay, what else? Well, Cabernet Sauvignon. Well, yeah, anything it. else? Well, Cabernet Sauvignon from... Uh, uh, these different regions. Well, no, I mean any other wines. And I go, no, because I like Cabernet Sauvignon. And I said, so I suppose that you have the exact same thing for dinner every night. And well, yeah, no, that's a good analogy. <laughs> you know, I mean, then why are you stuck with one wine all the time? And so that's a great analogy. Yeah. Well, here's a here's a thought. Uh, 
and, and I never had heard this until two weeks ago, in, in 30 years. Have you ever seen the Aroma Wheel, which is that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, okay. Okay, so the woman that invented it, her name is Ann Noble. She's a brilliant right. woman. And she University was a food scientist. Davis. Yeah. That's right. So she was yeah. a food scientist, and she discovered this idea that people did. But, but as a food scientist, she's perfectly fine with the idea that you can make potato chips taste like dill pickles. <laughs> and she's perfectly fine with the idea that Sutter Home Sauvignon Blanc should taste the same from year to year, which means you must play with it, right? Because yeah, oh, you the have grapes to, are yeah. going to be different, right? The grapes are going to be different, so they're going to taste different if you didn't do anything. But if you add a little acid here and a little sugar there and you do a little particular type of yeast here, you can probably get pretty close to a consistent. Let's say that you and I drink you know, Jack Daniels because it tastes like Jack Daniels no matter where I'm at and where I'm at in the world. Same right. with Miller Lite. Always tastes the same. Mm-hmm. And wine, by nature, isn't like that. Wine, by nature, it's the winemaker's job to take what he or she gets from the vineyard and make a wine out of it that reflects that time and place. <laughs> but So there's two different – this is the first time I've ever had this sort of conversation where there's two different thought processes. Like, yeah, I'm okay doctoring it up and making it taste like it was last year. And and that kind of leads into your conversation about I only drink Cabernet or I only drink, you know, this type of Cabernet. You know, right. I go to the store, I buy the same four-pack from Vons. I get 10% off for six bottles. And it's the same stuff. Mm-hmm. And you and I are trying to, well, not combat that, but we're trying to teach people that, hey, there's a lot of fun things to do. A different mindset. Yeah. 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 It's just like uh, uh, Sutter Home Moscato. Uh, it's always mm-hmm. popular because it's sweet. And uh, people say, I like a sweet wine. I always, well, do you, have you ever had Sutter Home Moscato? And a lot of times you get no one. I said, well, if you like sweet, try that. I said, that's that's one that's going to be sweet. You're going to enjoy it because it's sweet. I said, and, and it's the same year after year after year. It never changes. It's the same sweet wine year after mm-hmm. year. I mean, it's like Pepsi or Coke. It's going to taste yeah. the same no matter what you do. And I said, but once you get tired of that sweetness, pick the bottle up that's next to it. I don't care what it is. But pick the bottle up this next to it and try that. Yeah, I've had people come in and say, you know, I did that. I picked up and and I just I got I don't know whatever it was because they vary by store. And it it was fun. It was different and all that. And, you know, it's just it's just a good way to get people away from stuff that they just get stuck on. And that is a fun exercise. Just, you know, assuming that where you're at is, you know, honest and keeps the inventory fresh and, and, yeah. uh, and, you know, they, they curate the shelf, which most places would, most places. Uh, you'd have a pretty good chance of just grabbing a bottle. That's probably decent value for whatever it is you're picking. And you don't even know what it is. You can't pronounce the name and, uh, and you yeah. take it home and open it. I think that's great. Yeah. And if it's, you know, if it's on the third shelf down from the top, then it's going to be in, if that's where you're buying the Sutter home Moscato, then, the ones on that shelf are going to be in the same price range, so you're not going to be spending a whole lot more. And it's just it's a good way to get away from your habit. You know, so. What do you do? What do you talk about with your listeners or your friends about sending a bottle back at the restaurant or a glass that you buy the glass? You know, I, I tell people if you when you taste a wine at a restaurant, and I used to teach a class, and this is one of the subjects I used to hit. 
when you're in a restaurant and they let you taste a wine, if it's not good, then send it back. Don't be don't be embarrassed. Don't be ashamed. Don't be anything. But if it's not what you want, and you ordered it, then there there's no excuse for you to send it back. Because that's what you ordered. If that's the wine that you ordered and it is what it is, then, you know, well, mm-hmm. I made a mistake. I want another bottle. Well, then you pay for another bottle. But mm-hmm. if you get it in and it is not up to the expectations, uh, maybe it's corked or maybe it's, uh, you know, something's wrong with it in some way, then do not hesitate to send it back. So that's exactly right on the bottle side. And I'll add to that on the, the by the glass side. My, I drink gin when I go to a restaurant typically. So, oh. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. but my wife has a glass of red wine, so we're regularly sending back the by the glass pours, and that's mm. because, uh, particularly a, a wine a, you know, a restaurant that's not huge, where right. the guy opens the wine two days earlier, uh, the particular varietal or, or grape and uh, or wine, and then. They doesn't get they don't vacuum in it or they don't spurge it with argon or use a cruvenet or anything like that. They just put the cork back in it and then it's it. in a reasonably warm <laughs> environment and then oxidizes and then it comes to my wife's glass. That's what happens. Right. And so now we, to head that off, uh, I'll say she would like a glass of Smith and Hook Cabernet. When did you open the bottle? <laughs> and they'll ask the glass this morning. Okay, fine. Two days ago. Well, I wanted to uh, either well, I want a fresh bottle or what else you got. And, yeah. and to highlight that, we were in Monterey for uh, something, and we were sitting at a bar, and I noticed that some clever bartender prior had written in big black felt pen the dates of when the wines were open the, on the oh, Biogas program there. Yeah. But I can see it, which is not so good. But I'm sitting at the bar, and I see these big black, like, you know. So uh, one of them was two weeks prior. Whoa. Okay. Yeah, and so there it is with the cork sticking out of the neck, and a, a waiter came next to me and ordered that glass of that wine. It was a Pinot Noir, and the bartender doesn't even doesn't even look at it. Not to, I'm not saying discrediting him. I'm just saying this is why the consumer has to be cognizant of what they're getting. Doesn't even look at the label, even though somebody took the time and big black felt pen to put the date on there. And before he pours it, I said, you know, that's going to come back. He goes, what do you mean, sir? I said, well, look at the date. He goes, oh shit, <laughs> you know, and then he dumps exactly. it out, and opens a fresh bottle. So I saved him a disgruntled customer, but that can happen anywhere at any time, and the unwitting, unknowing consumer uh, may just say, oh, this is what the wine is, or I just muscle it down. When you can head it off at the beginning and just say, when did you open this, you know, and they'll yeah, tell you. And- excellent point, excellent point. Because if you walk into a restaurant and my Mother-in-law is uh, a resident with us. She lives with us, and she's a coffee drinker. She drinks coffee all the time for everything. You know, I mean, it's just mm-hmm. like her go-to that beverage. Generation. Yeah, and when we go out, she wants a cup of coffee along with her meal, and they say, would you like drinks? And I said, well, I like some iced tea, and uh, my wife likes some you know, water, and my mother-in-law wants a cup of coffee. When was it made? And I always immediately ask that. When was it wow. made? It's fresh. Same thing. And it's the same thing you're saying there, too. I mean, it's, it's you know. It, it, That's interesting. It, it, it will go back. You a diner. Ugh. 
Oh yeah, yeah. Or right. it's been sitting there, you know, and especially you know in the evenings when we go out, and you know, it's just it's not anything fancy. Maybe a Denny's or something to get a quick meal while we're out. And you know, when was it made? And well, I'll put on a fresh pot, and I get that a lot. I'll put on a fresh pot, and it's the exact same thing you're saying there when it comes to the wine, you know, when was it opened? And cause that can go bad just like coffee. And so, yeah, real fast. Yeah. You know, yeah. Very good point. Very good point. Uh, people remember well, that. I, just, and, you know, I guess I, I learned the hard way, you know, I just, it took us a few bad glasses to figure out. Mm. <laughs> oh yeah. It, and it will catch up with you fast too. I mean, it's just, you know, once you say, Oh, this is bad, this is bad. And then, yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. I've only sent two I've only sent two bottles back in my career at restaurants. Uh and one was at a relative's restaurant. So that was oh. a little embarrassing. Uh and he's a thirty year restaurant here in Pasadena, California and uh he he had a wine on the list that I know is really good and uh it was older vintage, it should have been better and it was totally shot. And I'm, uh-huh. I was like, "Gee, do I tell him? Because it's his restaurant, and I, you know, I see him all the time." I'm like, "Yeah, I'm going to tell him because he probably doesn't yeah. want to serve." I mean, most good restaurants and bartenders and psalms and maitre d's and waiters don't want to pour you bad wine. Exactly. They really don't. They they want you to have a good experience, the good ones. Uh, so I said, "Look at this." I go, "I just smell this." He goes, "Oh my God, this is horrible." You know. So. <laughs> Yeah, and that's you know that point you just made. There was something I was thinking too, and it's something I, I always tell people: don't be embarrassed to send something back because they want to know. They want to know right. if it's bad. If you get a bottle of wine and you taste it as bad, let them know because they may have gotten four bottles for storage, and they opened up one of those four, and there could be something wrong with that lot or something. I said so. Yep. You know, let them know. I as I mean, I used to appreciate people would bring a bottle of wine back to me at the winery and say, there's something wrong with this. And I immediately, without even questioning, hand them a new bottle. And right. uh, as it, you should keep the old one. And I taste it and I do a few tests on it just to see what was wrong with it. And most of the time, it was people that opened the bottle and let it stay open too long, you know, and it started to go bad on yeah. it. But, you right. know, you always want to know. And I, I think that little bit of knowledge that you're passing on to them is not something that they frown on you about. It's just something that they appreciate. So uh, you shouldn't be embarrassed. I've, I've, I, I sent one bottle back uh, a few years ago and it was bad. It was just, it had gone bad. And again, they appreciated it tremendously and, you know, comp- uh, you know, gave me a complimentary bottle and for pointing it out to them, which I told him, no, 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 you don't have to, but it's just, but uh, they do appreciate. Yeah, you could have you could have saved them. Let's just say they have twelve of those bottles down in the cellar, mm-hmm. and by whatever means, you know, and it, for the for the listeners, I mean, there's a lot of reasons why it went bad in that particular case. Could have gone through a different environment than the ones that came before it, and so it could have been baked somewhere in somebody's warehouse. Who knows? And so the whole thing is bad. And so you may have just saved them twelve more disgruntled customers or eleven more. Uh, because that whole that whole thing could have been bad. If it's a cork right. issue, you know where the wine, where the cork's gone bad, that's different. You know that happens all the time. But uh, you, I had a I had a delivery here um, uh, last month. It was uh, I don't know seven hundred cases of wine or something. And one of the pallets 
So 56 cases had gone astray. It had been somewhere else in the world than where it, but it landed and ended up in the same place the rest of the pallets were. I mm-hmm. sent out the wine to all my customers, and I got a, immediately got a phone call the next two days later on one of the wines, and she said, this is terrible. <laughs> and I went to uh, the pallets that are out there, and I pulled a bottle from each one, and one of them was really bad. I mean, it's really bad. And when I called the importer, I said, hey, you know, this is bad. He came out. He goes, oh, my gosh. He goes, we knew that that pallet was a bad pallet, and why it was shipped to you, we have no idea. Yeah. And I do now, but uh, that can happen. And so the restaurant would have never known that, right? It goes on the wine list. It sits there for who knows how long before somebody buys it. And then they get it out there and they go, oh, my gosh, this is like really, really bad. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll explain the, why it was bad. It was bad because of COVID. Oh. No, no, the wine didn't get COVID. The, uh, oh. <laughs> what happened was the supply <laughs> chain in the wine business and restaurant business is so screwed up. Because oh, yeah. there's less people working, and they're, you know, all the problems that COVID has brought uh, to the restaurant and food business and wine business, uh, the guys that were pulling the orders were relatively new, didn't know anything about mm. it. Uh, they're rushing around. They've got more work on their plate than they've had, you know, two months ago or six months ago, and they don't really care anymore. They're like trying to stay healthy, and the supply chain is suffering through this greatly. Uh, now yeah. I've added. I've added 30 days to everything I order because it could be 30 days late. Wow. Particularly stuff coming from Europe because who knows what's going well, on in the docks yeah. in France, right? Exactly. It's kind of scary. I never thought of that aspect of it. But yeah, you're right. The, the, the supply chain and all that. I'm telling people, frequent your local restaurants, frequent your local wineries, do, you know, do local, do, you know, small yeah. as much as you possibly can. But, for I sure. never thought of the fact that the supply chain could mess up. No, it's really bad. Everything at the you, local level. I, I never considered that. You didn't notice it March, April, May, because all that inventory was here already, and the suppliers were just kind of bleeding off what they had. And mm-hmm. even though there were less salespeople on the street because they fired th- I mean, literally thousands of wine representatives in Southern California were laid off and fi- or, or permanently laid off. And so your service level was really low. You, there weren't as many people to call when there was a problem. And wow. all of a, then all of a sudden when all that inventory that was currently on the floor in the warehouse or wherever it was started to get bought up and they had to start bringing new things in and, and work with less people, it, it really became a problem. There, I don't think – I think I went through June or July, and I think every shipment I got, there were – Either it was the wrong wine or the wrong vintage wow. or short or it was long. I mean, there was a problem with everything. Jeez. It's a little bit better right now, but I don't trust any of it. Yeah, it's that's really, something uh, that, quite interesting. I never considered that. I mean, you know, I, <laughs> you know, I haven't, yeah, I retired like three years ago, and, and I don't think of that. The supply chain, you know, that's a big part of the final product, and Wow, that that really would mess up a lot of stuff on that. It's a mess. It's a it's a yeah. you know the well you have you have southern wines and spirits probably in the area. It's big right. wholesaler. Right. Um, those guys, I mean, they're huge here obviously in California. They're huge I mean, it's everywhere. Impossible. Yeah, it's hard to get even a phone call. It's it's hard to find a representative. Oh really? The other day yeah. I mean the other day I had to buy Stag's Leap, the famous, you know, Warren Winnie Arsky Stag's Leap. I had to do right. it. 
through their website. Now, that's absurd for me. Okay, I shouldn't have to get on their website and go through the regular channel. I should be able to call my rep. Hey, send me two cases of Stag's Leap Fave Vineyards Cabernet, and it'll be here the next day. That should happen. Right. Okay. Next but afternoon. I couldn't get a hold of the guy. All I got, all I got from emails was like, uh, we're on furlough, and we don't, we don't know when we're coming back. And I'm like, but I need the wine. So I ended up yeah. getting on the southern site and you know logging in and putting an order in and totally without any human intervention. I guess that's good at some point, but no, yeah. I want to talk to the guy. You know, I want to try to make a better deal at least. I can't do it. Yeah, yeah. that's that. <laughs> boy, that was. I, I never considered that aspect of it. Yeah, you walk down because you go into your wine shops and I, I frequent, you know, the ones around just to see what's on the shelf and talk to the people and stuff like that. And I never noticed, but they, they are thin, uh, not empty. No, but thin, thin, you know, uh, mm-hmm. and, and that's, uh, that's why I get right on the supply chain. is just all screwed up now. Yeah. You know? I think, well, part of that too is, you know, um, we have to do more with less people because uh, there's just more work to do because of this, particularly in the wine business. It's gotten really, really congested. And so what happens? Well, you start the skinny back inventory, the, you know, kills carrying costs and the shelves are more barren. My warehouse is much thinner than it was pre COVID. You know, we're not, Mm -hmm. we're not denying anybody any wine, but we're pretty close to you know being out of stock all the time on something, right? Uh, and that you know that's the word thin because it, you know you've got the stock, you've got you know you've got your bottles of um, Stag's Leap, but you don't have a backup. I mean, you don't have that extra right. case that's, that's right. back there, and then that's, that's what it's you know COVID seems to be doing that to a lot of areas. But I never realized how much it was doing it to the wine industry. Well, like it, like yeah. you said in the beginning. Well, I guess there was no toilet paper in the beginning, or Clorox. <laughs> yeah. But you know, all the other stuff was around, and now those things are instead of four bottles of salad dressing, there's only two or one. You know, right? You yeah. grab that last one, and and that's I think that's that's definitely a, a COVID-related thing. And who knows? We don't know. The nobody in the wine industry knows what's going to happen. I mean. Um, for your listeners, you know, the, the, we were in Napa just before COVID hit, and I was being interviewed by the Napa Valley Register, and I thought it was going to be this, hey, this is a great interview for, you know, about Paul Kay. He's a great guy. And, and no, she was actually trying to figure out uh, how to help, have us help them as, as Internet retailers, you know, help wineries come to grips with digital marketing because it's <laughs> foreign to them. Most, a lot of wineries have sites and e-commerce but many of them don't or it's very oh yeah very, and the ones very who had project. it weren't familiar with the influx of orders and information that they need That's to provide right. now too so if it's an unexplored area uh, more so than they didn't have know. chat buttons for instance right uh, you know why would they i'm a farmer well i'm gonna have somebody sitting in front of the computer waiting for the chat to go off Exactly, but that's the same problem with the restaurant business. Uh, so, the, the meaning that the, the, the wineries that were prepared, so to speak, for by by having a good digital presence, actually, you know, survived this very well because a lot of people are buying wines. But the wineries that only had foot traffic from the tasting room, uh, there'll be a lot of you know sold in wineries for sale soon, much like yeah. restaurants. 
Yeah, I'm That's about so where you're at. The restaurants here, you know, there's no indoor dining in California, right? None. Mm. So you, if you're unfortunate enough to own a restaurant that doesn't have a patio or isn't in a city that allows parking spaces to be taken up with a little platform and outdoor dining, mm. you're done. I mean, I have a yeah. friend who a restaurant downtown LA. He hasn't. He's been closed since March 17th. He, he has uh, no idea when he potentially can go back. None. And I have that cousin I was telling you about who's got a restaurant in Pasadena, and he's got 138 seats on the sidewalk. Wow, and he's there you go. Kicking, he's, kicking, he's kicking butt right now. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I said I, if if this COVID had hit when I still had the winery open, I would be out of business because I would not have been able to survive yeah. being shut down. I mean, and the, the sad traffic. thing is, yeah, so many small wineries operate that way. It, you have to have that constant flow, and if you stop that income, the outgo is still hit you, and it, you either, you know, borrow or, or just get out of it. And I think there's so many of them that are just getting out of it, and it's so sad to, to think that too. So that's a good. I want to think in your state, the the wineries are not open. Well, they are now. They they can do tastings now. Uh, oh, they can. They're yeah, they're, they're uh, you know, I mean, obviously distancing and you know, masks are required when you come in, all that, and you take the mask off for the tasting. But the wineries are back and doing tasting, but they were closed down completely for like three and a half months. And hmm. yeah, I, I mean, small wineries can't. I I would not have been able to survive. I mean, as a small yeah. winery, I you know you. You know, the people walking in the door and all that is what keeps it open. And when you close the door, it doesn't Where was that? end. Uh, I was just north of Tampa uh, in a, ah. a town called Land O'Lakes. And, yeah. and uh, you know, That's I mean, we had, a, we had a fair share of business. I mean, it, it wasn't, you know, like we were, you know, had no one. It's just that if we weren't allowed to have anyone and they, you know, we were a non-essential business. And so it was, it would have, well, it would have shut down the business. uh, If I was, here's here's how you solve that. Uh, This is how you fix that. You have a governor who's, who owns uh, part of three different wineries. (laughs) 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 So we, and I, uh, this my building here is licensed for, as a winery as well. It's a manufacturer, oh, uh, what they call it, O2. I can make wine. Uh, and I have a lab here, but anyway, but I could, it's licensed for that. And the, after he shut down the state, he then about an hour later said, and, and here are the essential businesses, and Winers is one of them. Winers is one of them. And then I found out that he owns Plump Jack and a couple other wineries in uh, Napa, part of, and that's why he did it. Yeah. All right. There you go. Yeah. Well, yeah. You know, uh, it was political. Yeah. It, well, we were able to keep the golf courses open. I mean, they said that that was okay. No, see, that was California that was an essential that. business. Yeah. We were uh, the golf courses yeah, were Florida. essential. Yeah. Yeah. So they kept those. Um, but we weren't getting very many tours. But you know, the golf courses <laughs> lured people here anyway. So, but. Well, uh, that's good. Uh, we well, yeah, West Palm Beach is the home of the PGA, so yeah, yeah, it's uh, and you know, I mean, it's uh, golf courses all over the place here. In fact, I'm playing tomorrow, so you know, it's uh, no congratulations. It was 
Yeah. Actually, I was supposed to play tomorrow morning. My Were friend yeah. likes to call me 24 hours in advance and say, hey, there's a spot open. I'm like, why don't you make me one of the spots <laughs> and I'll be available? Yeah. But he always calls me when I when he has to fill a spot and I always have something to do. <laughs> so that's usually the way it works, yeah. 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 <laughs> I had actually one, uh, let me tell you a weird story. I had won the bid to be the PGA, the, the, the official wine club. This is probably like a really? good I was studying uh, the golfers' wines at that time. Right. And so I went to West Palm Beach and in front of the PGA decision makers, won the right to organize a club around their database of customers and, and players and things. Oh. And it was being it was being orchestrated by a guy named Bruce Florine, you can Google him, who used to work at the PGA. It was his idea, and so he was the go-between. He's the guy who was going to help the PGA make it work, help it advertise it, and I was going to be the guy that – chose the wines and fulfilled the orders. So it took about, I don't know, 12 months, probably after the presentation, and they agreed to give me the thing, and they were writing the contract. And the day, this is a true story, the day that the PGA sent them the first draft of the three-way contract, myself, the PGA, and him as the facilitator, he was walking from the first green to the second tee, I think it was in Florida, and he decided not to go on the path, and he took a route down the side of the fairway, and a tree fell and killed him. Oh my gosh! Out of no, out of no reason, no wind, a uh, little moisture. Uh, he was with another guy who was unscathed, and it just clocked him. And they oh grabbed his gosh. phone, and I'm here at my office that morning, and they called his phone and. The, there was two numbers that he had just called. One was his buddy, who I knew well, because he was part of this idea we were doing, and me. And then they uh-huh. called me. And they said, "You know, did you know Bruce?" I go, "Yes." He goes, "Well, he, she just was killed." I'm like, "Are you kidding me?" <laughs> I mean, how? I mean, when it's your time, right? It's your time. Yeah. So but yeah, it just wow. And it never happened. Uh, the PGA tried to, you know, try to make it work, but they just didn't have the person inside the organization to, to facilitate uh, this kind of project. Because it was a big project. I mean, it was going to take a long yeah. time. Um, but so I felt really bad because, um, I mean, this he was only like 50. You know, he was really young. Yeah. He was a good, he became a good friend because of all this work we were doing together. And it's a fluke. Wow. It it's is a fluke. a fluke. Yeah. What did so, when I had the winery, Florida State's winery is the name of it. When I had the winery, we, we got a contract one spring with the Philadelphia Phillies Spring Training Facility. They wow. uh, called me down, and, and I did a tasting of our wines. And they said, well, we'd like to offer wines during spring training. you know." And so they did a white, a red. Uh, we had a blush wine, and then we had a, a sweeter wine. So they got the four. So we furnished the four wines for that year. And the next year I contacted them and I said, again, and they go, no, we'd like to rotate. So it was a one and done thing. And, uh, hmm. but it was sort of, well, that's sort that's, of, a, that's pretty fun. Yeah. sort of cool to have the name yeah. out there. We had people come and visit because of it and stuff. And, you know, I had your wine at the, you know, the spring training and stuff. So, you know, that was the wine guy is all the wine guy is always, a, always welcome to the party. That's the one thing I've learned about our business. <laughs> you, you're yeah, in the wine business. Right. Hey, listen, I'm having a party. Hey. You know, think you swing by, you know? <laughs> yeah, I know. That's just it's always, <laughs> always important to get that wine guy in there. <laughs> yeah, you know, something yeah. about the beverage that's so 
ethereal, you know. It's different, <laughs> yeah, it's different that's right. Beer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, well, I'll tell you what. You you said you have uh, uh, dinner date tonight, so we're going to let that's you go right here. here. Uh, give our listeners contact information for you in case you ship everywhere. We ship pretty much everywhere. Uh, Thanks to the government, the, thanks to Joe Kennedy, we can only ship to certain states, but most of them. Right. And yeah. uh, Florida is one of them for sure. Um, uh. We are it, the company website for the wine and the membership and all all things wine is wineofthemonthclub.com, and make sure you okay. put the club in there. So wine of the month of the wine of the month club.com. and as well, uh, my podcast is Wine Talks with Paul K. It's available at winetalkspodcast.com as well as your favorite podcast hangouts we're hanging out there on pandora spotify stitcher and all those places and we have a wonderful group of chefs and wineries and winemakers that visit us as well as um authors i had the author of sideways rex pickett on the show uh, uh, who wrote who wrote the book and really interesting story of his life so WineMuckle.com, WineTalksPodcast.com, and it's been a huge pleasure being on the show. And keep up the good well, work. Uh, thank you, and I'm looking forward to being a guest on yours. Uh, but we, we're, that's right. We're going to do that. Uh, we're going to we'll do that in the future. Yeah, we do a Zoom and or either way. Yeah, Whatever is convenient. And uh, so, yeah, well, I'm looking forward to getting that finalized and being on that. And I'll get that scheduled. Okay, and uh, you said that you have no problems getting guests. There's drive periods where we don't. Do you have a a secret that uh, I can still to employ? And... Sure. Uh, well, yeah, I think the the regular sort of podcast guest, right. um, like we sent out a letter to PR, the standard PR way is probably the hardest way. You know, you uh-huh. you since you're in the wine business and you've made wine. Uh, you should be able to contact some wineries direct and say oh, who you were yeah. and what you do uh, and just yeah. talk to them. Um, the, the, I guess the value I have right now that's easier than you is I have people come into my office every week, you know, dozens you of know. them that represent mm-hmm. brands. I say, hey, uh, I, I do have the luxury of saying, look, I'll buy some of this if you make sure you get the wine on the show. <laughs> I mean, yeah. but, but I haven't. The reason I say that is that it's not necessarily that. It's just that there's – I would expect it to free up a little bit because the industry needs to get these messages out. It needs to have people yes. listening to these things. It needs to have their brands out, particularly through COVID because uh, no one's going to the restaurant and drinking the stuff. So they're finding ways to, to augment their, their PR, so to speak. Um, but let me, let me put down some names for you that you can call and just see if you can get some people on the show. Okay. Okay, well, uh, yeah, just, you know, we've got email exchanging here, just, you know, that would be fine. Um, We were uh, named one of the top six uh, wine podcasts through Wine Spectator Magazine for 2020. And and thank you. When that popped up, we got an influx of people emailing say would you like to have a guest <laughs> you know it was just it yeah, was amazing great. that something like that generated so many guests but uh yeah i've uh 
Well, it's not a it's it's a whole marketing thing on its own. You know, it's not they're not easy. It's not easy. Yeah, and we you know it's it's just not we don't pay we don't you know, but it's a good right. promo for people. It's a good you know sure PR is. thing and all that. And uh, uh, we've we've had some wineries on before that have contacted us and said you know it's just people have come in and said that they've heard our podcast and you know they visit the winery and stuff and you know we the uh, founders of uh, Barefoot Winery. Uh, were yeah, on Michael as, Hulland. Yeah, yeah, they they Old were friend. on as guests. He's great. Uh, really, yeah, it, it was a fun. It was a fun interview, and uh, we've had different ones and over the years. And so, uh, you know, we do we do get our share of guests, but it's always always seems to be one of the hardest parts of the whole thing. I mean, I, I sit hard. down, I I talk, and I can talk for however long they want to talk with not a problem. But boy, getting people to get on the show is why I tell well, you COVID COVID did, you know, cause problems and yeah. uh, you know, the, no one was traveling and I like to do them in the studio myself personally. I just feel better about mm-hmm. it. But uh, I actually, you know, I don't know about what your travel plans are, but I, I was in Napa t- two different weeks, the last 60, 60 days. And no, really? I, yeah. I put, uh, I got eight podcasts under my belt. I take my little portable studio and set up in the oh, hotel okay. conference room and, uh, and go out and get them. You know that, that I won't say it was any easy. And they weren't coming in my door during COVID. That's for sure. And, and during COVID, yeah. I, I I I just started replaying old ones mm. uh, because that's that's all I had. No one was going to move. Yeah, and it's, I done some overseas too. You know, I did some a couple in France. Oh, yeah. I did one in Paris. I did one. Somebody was in England. We had yeah, uh, no. You're guess. right. It's it's hard. We we've had guests from Australia and, and one guy that. Uh, we talked to that was he said I just landed in Bali this morning and and stuff like that you know in different places and all that but wow. it's just it's hard to find uh, find guests. Gonna, it, not, yeah, it, one day you'll have more than you need. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just, but it's fun. It's a fun thing. So okay, well, Paul, thank you so much for for taking the time. It is a great conversation. I really enjoyed myself. Mike, do you have any questions or comments to Paul before we let him go tonight? Well, well yeah, real quick, I was just going to ask about your podcast. Is it on any particular day? Is it? Uh, I know, usually release them. It's not live. I release them Tuesdays and Thursdays. Okay. Uh, so we just released uh, this afternoon. We released um, a conversation with. Mark Williamson, who owns a wine bar in Paris, and so that audio is a little sketchy. Uh, and then next week we're releasing Piero Salvaggio, the restaurant tour I represent, and now I'm, I'm that's it. You know, you're talking about constraints, but I have a couple I'm doing in the next couple of days. Um, so I thought I was way ahead. You know, like I had like <laughs> five weeks in the can, and now I'm back against the wall again. <laughs> you know, no, that's it. Yeah. Are they uh, are they all video or, or are they do you have uh, audio only podcasts? No, I, I do I, both. Someone... Okay. I record them all oh. on, on film and I also uh hmm. obviously they're audio. So um yeah. it's a little bit of a task, you know, my little at first when I started going to Napa with my traveling kit, it was fifty five pounds of gear. Oh and oh. and doesn't you know, the limit's fifty, right? So then I restructured it. I got it down to like 30 pounds. And I keep it with me because if it gets lost, I'm out of business. 
uh, all of a sudden now, you know, it's kind of works. It kind of works. Tuesdays and Thursdays. (laughs) Very cool. We we have the same objective. Yes. (laughs) Get get people to listen and get people to learn and get people to drink more wine. That's what we want them to do. I, you know, we say the the purpose of All About Wine is to make wine less intimidating and more friendly. And that's, that's it. And once it becomes friendly, people will enjoy it and start drinking more of it. But, you know, it's not to be intimidating. I mean, that's, and wine for a long time was intimidating. I mean, it just, it was very snooty snobby. And I think it's really gotten away from that now. So, well, thanks for your efforts and keep it up. And we'll get oh, you on the well, show probably next week or the week after. How's that sound? Whenever. Uh, let, just, okay. you know, I, I checked the emails Let's all the time, so whenever. And uh, we'll uh, uh, do a, uh, you know, uh, some format, whatever's best. We'll work it out. You, uh, We've been talking through who? Uh, Desiree. Yeah. So. Yeah, Desiree, yeah. She's my social, you know, tasked her to, you know, yeah. it's, you know, I, I was talking to Adam Carolla, who's like the prolific uh, podcaster of the world. He's the Guinness records, Guinness world book <laughs> downloads. He's a comedian yep. and a conservative talk show host. And, and he, actually his crew kind of got me started on how to do this. And we were talking, I said, you know, you don't, you don't realize what it takes to produce a show. And so you can do it yourself and put some things together and get some gear and kind of organize it and start the cameras or whatever you're doing. And all of a sudden, you know, oh, I got to start finding guests. Oh, I got to start learning how to use Zoom. Oh, I got to learn how to broadcast. Oh, and all of a sudden, you know, you can't do it. You can't do it all. You know? So I got Desiree to take over the calendar at least and just make sure that I'm you know, getting them out on time. Oh, what about this? You know, particularly since I videotape these things, I need a still mm-hmm. shot. I need a selfie. I always forget to take the damn selfie. So, <laughs> so then I got to take a, a still from the video and then that. So I got to have somebody do that. And then I, you know, it just goes on. You know what it's like? And I, he says, well, yeah. and his comment to me was, but I, he goes, I came from radio. So we were already used to the production part of a radio show or podcast. You know, he was early on in podcasting. He's one of the pioneers, and you should see his car collection. You should see his car collection because he's one of the pioneers in podcasting. So, yeah. I don't know how many seasons the Man Show was on, but that that was a, a pretty big hit for him too. I mean, he was on for yep. him him and his long uh, time. crew I mean, for a long time. But that. When that dried up, and then his radio show dried up, and he's like, "I don't know what to do." Yeah. Uh, listen to that if you if you want to be entertained. Listen to that podcast. I, I was on his show, which is the better of the two. Uh, he was on my show, but he didn't feel like being on the show at that time. But, but on his show, yeah. he was talking about that stuff. You know, I just, you know, I didn't know. I didn't know anything better. I just thought it'd be a good idea to start podcasting. How would I know? You know. <laughs> Well, that's why I keep Mike around. Mike takes care of all the technical stuff, and you know he's he's the one that handles you know glitches and everything else. And so he, don't he let does him go. I know uh, he does a great job on that. He really does. He's yeah. Every once in a while, he has to remind me of things, and you know I'm glad he does. So uh, very but, good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll look forward Stop. to having you on the show, and we'll uh, yeah, we'll and get to you, you know, soon. let me know those names of possible guests. I would love to. Yes, I can certainly know. put together a short list for you that just people yeah. you can call and start stirring the pot a little bit. 
I appreciate yeah. that. And uh, You're welcome. I'll uh, look for Desiree's uh, – uh, oh, I lost my word there. Whenever oh, Desiree you know, – yeah, on the email to you, get me scheduled and, and we'll go from send there. Send us the link. Uh, we'll put this on our site too, the link to this this episode. Oh, you can just pick oh. that up. You know, it's uh, on your site. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So very good. Very good. So we nice appreciate it, folks. and uh, you uh, have yourself a wonderful time tonight at dinner. And I'm really looking forward to talking to you uh, on your show. See you then. We will do. Absolutely. Thanks again. Take care. Take care. Have a good evening. Bye. Bye. All right. Yeah, there's the yeah. Oh, there they are. That was fun. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That was good. That was fun. Good guess. Um, yeah, he's got, he's yeah. Uh, it looks like uh, I was going to mention this earlier, but the, their, uh, his show, Wine Talks with Paul K, is available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and there's an Amazon logo, and it says, and more. So I'm guessing huh. uh, uh, probably, that, probably show it on, yeah, it's on Amazon as well, so. Um, very good stuff. Uh, good website and has the episodes there. So if you want to take a look at it, go to winetalkspodcast.com and uh, you'll get the all the uh, episodes there. And then this yeah, other website is uh, yeah. wineofthemonthclub.com is the other website. So yeah, very good, very good uh, interview. So um, and then we need to also do our quick promos for some of our past guests. Uh, the movie Wine and War is available yep. online. Uh, this is about making wine in Lebanon. And uh, a, a good movie, interesting, and uh, well worth the effort of setting down. I think it's like an hour and a half long, but uh, Wine and War uh and all proceeds from that go to Children's Hospital of Lebanon. Of um, uh, my, I don't know. I don't know what city, what, but um, it's well worth it. And then we've got uh, ebook that uh, Jim Lochran. Yeah, uh, James uh, Jim Lochran. Ebook yep. and it's everything you want. Uh, what is the title? I'm I'm I've got a blank here. Uh, I, you know I just got it and I was reading it earlier. Uh, <laughs> oh, good. it's the uh, 15 minute 15 minute oh, guides to um, yeah yeah it's a 15 15 minute guides to um the, yes red wine everything you wanted to know but uh let me scroll back up here because God I just I had it in another window I was reading it um. It's got some pretty good chapters. It's a, it's a it's a quick read, but it's it's it is it's interesting. It's what you need to know, yeah, it's interesting. And then the other one is for white wine, so it's you know 15 minutes for red wine and 15 minutes uh, for white wine. But look up on Amazon or at your bookstore for Jim Lochran, um and that'll point you to it. Um, and they're cheap. They're, they're not they're not real expensive. Mm-hmm. You know they're they're really no. you know, uh, I think a dollar for the red and three bucks for the white and you know, it's uh, it's an easy read, but it's interesting. It's it's got a lot of information yeah. there, and it gets right to it. It's not uh, yeah. You know, yeah, not a lot of you know. Oh gosh, I gotta 
wade through uh, stuff that that doesn't apply, and um, yeah. you know, it's, it's a good read. Um, the uh, Lebanon, it's uh, all proceeds go to Cap C A P Ho H O, so it's Cap Ho, uh, charity providing much needed aid to children without insurance in Lebanon. Oh, okay. On, uh, wine and wineandwar.com, the untold story of wine in the Middle East. And uh, I have yet to see that, but I'm watching the video clip on the website. I'm like, wow. Um, yeah, it's good. A, it it so, really is. And and they, uh, uh, <clears throat> it's just, it's, it's easy, easy watch. I mean, it's, you don't have to, you know, you just, you get caught up in it. And it's, it's really, is a, a good, good, well put together show. And it shows some history. One thing I liked about it is they, they talked at the beginning quite a bit about, uh, uh, the wine starting there and uh, how it uh, how it evolved in the vineyards and stuff. It's really really good good movie. So uh, and all proceeds again go go to a charity. So check that out. And one more, you want to tell us about uh, uh, our uh, cemetery haunted book? Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, Joy Neighbors. Uh, she is. Uh, she has a book out called The Family Tree Cemetery Field Guide. It is on Amazon uh, and bookstores. Um, and, um, of course, now she's working at a haunted distillery or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah so she has a book out as well. And it's, uh, if you're interested in genealogy, it's not a, like a haunting book. It's an informational help guide, I'm guessing, uh, uh, what it more towards you know that side of it but uh if you're interested in genealogy family history that kind of thing uh check out the book from uh, uh joy neighbors the family tree cemetery field guide and you could literally take it with you uh when you go uh you know do your genealogy research or, or check out the um, uh cemeteries and all the interesting things about it so another I think good read what, i think what she does is is it helps explain some of the stuff at cemeteries and symbols and things like that, different things too. Mm-hmm. So if yeah. you're, uh, you know, if you're unsure what this means on your great uncle's gravestone, then I think she helps explain some of that stuff on there too. So it's, 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 uh, if you're into genealogy, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's a good book to have with you. So there you go. And, uh, then again, uh, uh, we want to thank all of our foreign listeners uh, for downloading us. Nepal. That's, that's yeah, you know, Nepal and, and Kazakhstan and Ukraine and Mongolia and all that. That's really, really cool. You know, if we're number one here, if we're really number one in, in Nepal, I really would like some people in in over there to to email the show all about wine one zero one at gmail.com and let us, I saw this email and I thought, what? Yeah, I know. And never, and tell us you're listening to us, man, you know, I mean, we're, we're on so many different feeds and everything. I, I right, have no yeah. idea anymore what we're on, but, uh, you know, let us know how you, uh, how you're listening to us. It's, uh, it'd be interesting. And, yeah. um, I don't know. And I mean, it, it's, it's it just, yeah, it wasn't like it was a, you know, uh, I mean, they had all the certifications. I mean, a, a legitimate site there. It just had everything listed out, what they do and what they are and how they got, you know. So I don't think it was just somebody sending out something. And it, I, I yeah. think it's a legitimate thing. So 
So, yeah, 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 that's a good point. If you're listening to us in any of those countries that we mentioned, drop us an email. We would really love to hear from you. Yeah. So. Good. Uh, it looks like our Facebook, one of those streams uh, has messed up. I don't know why it's it's saying reconnecting right. here, but uh, yeah, uh, I have to check that out. But uh, so yeah. we may have gone out a minute or two ago from Facebook and probably some of these other ones, but, uh, Oh, well, we'll roll the exit and we'll see everybody uh, next week, which is, uh, Thursday, November 19th at 7 PM Eastern time in the U S and, um, thank you for tuning in. Be safe. And yeah, be safe out there and uh, drink lots of wine. We'll see you next week. Yeah, excellent. Thank you. This concludes tonight's broadcast of All About Wine with your host, Ron. For show information, links to All About Wine on Twitter and Facebook, or to be a guest on this show, visit the show website at www.allaboutwinebtr.com. Archived shows are available for download on iTunes or on our show page at blogtalkradio.com forward slash allaboutwine. Thank you for listening. Join responsibly, and we'll see you next time on All About Wine.